Hello, and welcome to episode eight of The Inner Odyssey, a podcast about developing self-awareness, self-confidence, and self-determination through living honestly and practicing self-love. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you for all your feedback on the past episodes. In the last episode, we discussed the first phase of developing the skill of concentrating attention. We define concentration as the ability to focus one's complete attention on a chosen subject while eliminating from the awareness distractions that arise from external noises, body sensations, people, and unwanted thoughts. We discussed thoroughness, that practice of doing and celebrating the neglectable things that are part of any task as though they were the most important things in the world. Both attention and thoroughness were presented as prerequisites for successfully developing the skill and ability to concentrate. At the end of the episode, I left you with some exercising involving breathing, walking, and communication that allowed you to practice giving your undivided attention to the task at hand. I hope that the breathing exercise showed you not only how the speed and rhythm of breathing affected your mental state, but also how breathing can be used to focus the attention and dispel distractions. I hope that the walking exercise made you aware of how you transitioned through the world and demonstrated that when you focus and paid attention to the act of walking, the footfall gets lighter and you move more smoothly, purposefully and effortlessly. The communication exercise, where you gave your undivided attention to the person with whom you were speaking, hopefully allowed you to realize and or reaffirm the importance of both the listener and the speaker in the act of communicating, your comfort level with giving and receiving undivided attention, and the numerous unintentional nonverbal cues that are present and can be used to really understand what someone, even yourself, is trying to communicate. Before I move on to discussing the next phases of concentration, I would like to address some feedback I received from the last episode. Sometimes things make absolute sense in my head and I forget that not everyone resides there. So in humble acknowledgement of this fact, I would like to provide a more clear distinction between the act of concentration and the practice of meditation in addition to the concept of the mind. Hopefully in the process, I do not confuse things further. I trust that we can all agree that in order to concentrate or meditate, the mind must be involved. That thing with which we think, feel, perceive, direct, and desire. From which thoughts, ideas, memories, and impressions about ourselves and the world spring forth and materialize. The thing that defines that consciousness and awareness is present, and paradoxically, that thing that has remained largely indefinable, evading understanding, except in reference to its own activities. That is to say, unless we define the mind by the aforementioned activities it performs, it is impossible to otherwise conceive of it. A picture of the brain may be generated or materializes and of course the mind, when the word mind is thought about. But the brain is not the same as the mind. 
The brain is a physical structure that does not really encompass or contain the mind. There are no discernible boundaries for the thing that desires, feels, thinks, perceives, etc. Even the word infinity conjures up a picture of something endless and limitless, extending into an ever-moving horizon. But the word mind remains an enigma. Think about what is meant by the expression, so-and-so have lost their mind, or the question, have you lost your mind? What do these expressions conjure up in your mind? The picture that comes to my mind is that of a silent void, a black hole of nothingness, a wasteland of emptiness and desolation, a vacuum. In reference to someone, that is to say that that person is no longer thinking, feeling, perceiving, directing, or desiring, but lacking consciousness, i.e. have lost their mind. They still, however, have their brain. When I studied psychology as an undergraduate, this question of what the mind was frustrated me to no end. Being a logical, scientific-minded person that favors tangibility and some semblance of concreteness, circular definitions of something so fundamental was an abomination, pure anathema. Needless to say, I changed majors before long, despite really enjoying the subject. It is said that the difference between concentration and meditation is one of direction. Both are mental activities, but when you are concentrating, you are focusing the mind on a single point, a single thing, to the exclusion of all else. Meditation, on the other hand, entails a higher level of focus in which all phases of concentration play a vital role. Meditation is purposeful thinking and concentration on a grander scale that opens the awareness to contemplating the nature of the mind and consciousness along with its worldly expression, the self. Meditation is a strenuous, all-encompassing, purely aspirational pursuit that is considered spiritual, whereas concentration singularly focuses on worldly things one at a time. As Michael Singer explains in The Unfettered Soul, for the deepest meditation, you must not only have the ability to focus your consciousness completely on one object, you must also have the ability to make awareness itself be that object. So, that is like being the watcher who is watching the watcher watch the watcher. Cultivating the ability to meditate takes self-discipline, patience, perseverance, and practice, all of which are engendered by mastering the skill of concentration. I will leave this discussion here as I do not believe that I have the capacity to articulate the distinction any better without going into an esoteric discussion about things I can acknowledge but do not completely understand. I do, however, hope that you now understand why some disciplines use focusing on the breath as a gateway to meditation because of its simplicity in harnessing the attention, the first phase of concentration. So, devolving back onto terrain of which I'm much more familiar, let us focus our discussion on the other phases of concentration, namely contemplation, abstraction, and repose. 
We left off last episode by me bringing to your attention that you had transitioned to the second phase of concentration called contemplation when you became so attentive, engrossed, and singularly focused on the 12 by 12 inch piece of wall. So much so that all other sources of distraction were removed from your awareness. As you continue to contemplate longer and longer on the object at hand, the piece of wall in this case, the senses become more firmly close to the distracting influences and focusing becomes easier, almost effortless. The mind is thus engaged and can produce new notions and ideas from its vast storehouse of knowledge. At this time, you are said to be in the zone that dreamlike state where insights and associations are made, the phase called abstraction. If someone were to try to get your attention, they would have to shake you as if you were asleep and likely startle you. Abstraction is the phase wherein there's an absence of the influence of the subjective, laboriously thinking, analyzing mind that you actively control. The mind that tends to make assertions and decisions based only on what you know to be true with your rational mind. All the usually neglected nonverbal subconscious gut instinct, the knowledge that is below deliberate perception that are too brazen, radical, or improbable for the rational mind to grasp and utilize are now allowed to flourish. I hope that each and every one of you have had the experience of being in the zone, that place where the mind is functioning in abstraction, where nothing distracts the attention. It is said that the geniuses of all stripes, from artists to physicists, create their best work while in the state of abstraction. Persistence in the state of abstraction leads to the state of repose, the pinnacle state of concentration. This is a state of visual rest, despite the mind being acutely active. To better grasp this concept of repose despite ongoing activity, here are a few examples. As you may be aware, everything in and around us is made up of energy. And energy cannot be created or destroyed, just transmuted. In addition, this energy vibrates with a certain rhythm based on its own resonance or natural frequency measured in vibrations per second. Therefore, if you were to tap a glass, crystal, or metal object, you will hear it sing at its resonant frequency, where the item is vibrating vigorously but visibly at rest. The resonant frequency concept is why it is possible to shatter glass at a voice frequency of one octave above middle C and has been implicated in the disastrous collapse of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Washington State in 1940. More possible recognizable examples of resonance and repose is demonstrable in slopes and conical shapes like sand dunes and even in the application of the bow to the string of a musical instrument. These items have what is referred to as the angle of repose. It is that point at which gravity cannot overcome friction and slippage occur. So at that angle, 
the cliff will collapse or the sand from the top will slide down to the base. In the case of the bow on the cello or violin string, it is the angle at which the bow is held as it makes contact with the string to produce the best and purest note possible. Otherwise, you get the unpleasant screech. A real-world example that simulates the concept of repose with activity that some of you may be familiar with is that of the cool hop caps that do not move at the same rate as the tires onto which they attach are moving. This dyssynchrony gives the tire the appearance of being static even though the car is moving at a rapid pace. These examples hopefully demonstrate that despite the constancy and uniformity of the sound or motion, there is nonetheless a quite active and powerful underlying vibratory motion that belies the calm scenes on the surface. Going back to the mind, I hope that the concept of the mind being in repose but still highly active and engaged in the object of focus makes sense. So, to summarize, the active concentration involves progressive phases of protracted attention that, when done correctly, seamlessly flow into each other in turn. These include attention, contemplation, abstraction, or being in the zone, and repose with activity. The goal is to be able to quickly tune out distractions and enter into a contemplative phase with any task at hand despite whatever distractions may be present. As you have seen, without mastering the process of eliminating distractions and pointedly focusing the attention, the subsequent stages of concentration will not be had and therefore nothing of consequence achieved. There are no shortcuts or side alleys to get to the pinnacle state of concentration, repose with activity. If you cannot subdue the random thoughts and eliminate both the internal and external distractions, you will not be able to focus the attention and never even enter the stream of concentration. Before I go on to providing you with further ways to help gather and harness your attention on whatever you wish to for as long as you wish, I want to touch on another vital component of mastering the skill of concentration, self-control. Although I have indirectly referenced and provided you tools with which to go about gaining and practicing self-control in past episodes, here I am going to summarize the steps and provide the rationale for its importance in developing the skill of concentration. Self-control confers a sense of calm, peace, and equanimity to the mind and being. The practice of self-control leads to a knowledge of one's interior mental processes or the proclivities of the mind so that they can be utilized and directed at will. As you can imagine, a mind flitting around like a hummingbird from one thought to the other will not attend to any single thing despite your most ardent desire. Stolid ideas and impression do not readily enter a mind that is unsettled, unfocused, doubting, or fearful. And consequently, the later phases of concentration will not be achievable. The mind, that thing with which we feel, perceive, think, direct, and desire, 
needs to be in vibratory resonance with what we wish to accomplish. And therefore, if we wish to be in a higher level phase of concentration, abstraction or repose with activity, then the mind must be in a similar resonance. If there's no self-control, the mind is freely chasing the biddings and demands of desires, circumstances, and passions that continuously capture and divert the attention, and therefore remain too distracted to be abstracted or be in repose with activity. So how do we develop self-control? First, please understand, if you do not thoroughly know how the thing you are trying to control works, then you will fail to successfully control it. Secondly, know that self-control does not mean a situation of repression, but one of controlled, measured expression. For example, with self-control, you develop the ability to choose when to express anger or annoyance or some other emotion, rather than have the expression be an uncontrollable default. Most importantly, you develop the ability to respond rather than react. Repressing and hiding away urges and impulses is merely hypocrisy, not self-control. The process of developing self-control needs to follow a systematic, methodical process. This process starts with observation and introspection. That is, an inspection of the mind and cataloging of what is found. This is about taking inventory. What does the mind tend to think in a given situation? What are your common tendencies and proclivities? Most importantly, what are the results that tend to occur? Next comes analysis. How can you use this information to determine your true nature? What of the list that you made when you introspected can be dispensed with? What would you like to keep? What would you like to amend? What motivates you? What are your weaknesses? Can you see yourself as others see you? Can you see yourself as you truly are? What's and all? The third step is decluttering, spring cleaning. That is, throwing out all those things that no longer serve you, both mentally and physically, and keeping only those things that serve you and foster your growth. Then comes the part where you get to sow the seeds of truth living. With a well-mown lawn, with maybe a few brown spots in places, there's a clear view of what is present, a clear view of what you have to work with you now get to sow the seeds of truth and principle so that when fruit is produced, you know what you will get beforehand. The goal is to live from the principles of what is right, what is truth, rather than selfish desires. Next comes knowledge. The unshakable knowledge that once had dispels all fear, panic, or doubt and replaces it with tranquility, peace, and poise. Knowing that because the fundamentals of truth living were sowed, the resultant thoughts, beliefs, and actions would conform to those principles regardless of the circumstances. Knowing that if it is not present inside, it cannot come out regardless of what happens. So 
it's like it's impossible to plant apples and harvest grapes. Finally, the achievement of wisdom. That unshakable belief in the knowledge and freedom that you have acquired from self-assessment and analysis that leads to the profound desire to share and uplift all those with whom you come in contact. We have covered this concept in past episodes, but in summary, self-control can be developed by one, introspection and cataloging of the contents of the mind, two, self-analysis, seeing yourself as others see you, and more importantly, seeing yourself for what you really are. Three, decluttering, separating the wheat from the chaff, determining what will foster your growth and what will not, and getting rid of one or the other. Next is planting truths to ensure that it always comes out. Next is knowledge. Knowledge just makes commonplace mental tranquility, peace, and poise. Then finally comes wisdom, the ability to share what you have learned with others patiently, selflessly, and gently. Self-control and its inherent wisdom is inseparable from happiness and honesty. Little else except the skill and ability to quiet the mind and focus one's thoughts to the exclusion of all else can be achieved without it. Without the ability to control the mind and by extension the self, it will remain impossible to achieve anything meaningful. As we can all attest, achievement of some kind is always the result of efforts rendered in response to thoughts successfully harnessed and singularly focused. I will repeat that. Achievement of some kind is always the result of efforts rendered in response to thoughts successfully harnessed and singularly focused. I hope that you have been able to see why self-control as well as the other things that we discussed before is essential to harnessing the power of the skill called concentration. As you continue to practice the essential steps of harnessing your attention and providing protracted attention to some subject of interest, I would like to encourage you to use the following exercise as a starting point whenever you endeavor to concentrate. So today's exercise combines the walking and the breathing exercises provided before and is a way to focus the attention quickly. It can be done physically or mentally, but actively practice it a few times physically before attempting to do it mentally. One thing I forgot to mention last time, it is imperative that you always try to breathe through your nostrils. Mouth breathing does not provide the many benefits had from nostril breathing and can lead to ill health. So here goes. The exercise is called walk and breathe. Walk with the head up, chin drawn in, shoulders back with even mindful steps. Inhale, take a deep breath that pushes out the diaphragm, expands the belly, and lifts the shoulders and collarbone while mentally counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One count per step and let the inhalation last all eight counts. If you cannot get to eight, 
drop down to a six count, but practice until you get to eight. Third step, exhale slowly through your nostrils, still counting as before, one step per count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Inhale again for eight count. Take a deep breath that pushes down the diaphragm, expands the belly, and lifts the shoulders and collarbone. Exhale for a four count. Or if inhaling for six, exhale for a three count. You can vary the activities by inhaling for eight count, holding for four count, exhaling for eight count, holding for four count. You can also inhale for four, hold for eight, exhale for four, hold for eight. Or inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. As you can see, you can have a lot of fun with this exercise while building up your breathing capacity and your ability to focus and concentrate on what you're doing. However, make sure to take a complete breath as described each time. Do not exhaust yourself. Practice multiple times a day. Please continue practicing the communication exercise. Today I have added a few additional steps. If you are the listener, always keep your thoughts on the subject at hand firmly in mind. Not your agenda, mind you, just the topic being discussed. As the person starts speaking, Silently thank them for choosing to courageously tell the truth as they see it. As you listen, give the speaker your undivided attention as before. Look at them directly in the eye, softly and unflinchingly. Hear their words, intonation and other verbal nuances. Look at their expression, gestures, animations. Observe if their breathing is strained, relaxed, audible or not. Take note of whether the additional attention makes them feel nervous or calmer. As they're expressing themselves, silently thank them for courageously telling the truth as they see it. Pay attention to parts of what they're saying that resonate with you and what parts do not. If you are the speaker, before you start speaking, Silently thank the listener for open-mindedly listening to your truth and appreciating your courage in telling it as you see it. Focus on expressing your thoughts on the subject at hand as clearly and concisely as possible. Your goal is not to convince or coerce, but to express what is true for you. As you speak, give the listener your undivided attention. Look at them directly in the eye softly and unflinchingly. Look at the listener's expression and gestures in response to your words. Observe if their breathing is strained or relaxed, audible or not. Take note of whether the additional attention makes them nervous or calmer. As you are done speaking, silently thank the listener for open-mindedly listening to your truth and appreciating your courage in telling it as you see it. Use this exercise in both your public and private life. Try it with your previously recommended mirror exercise. That is all for today. Remember, I am good enough, 
I am strong enough. I am powerful enough. I am capable enough. I am loved, lovable, and loving. Thank you for joining us today on The Inner Odyssey. I am ever grateful for the time you are taking to listen to this presentation. Share the show and subscribe to our podcast on anchor.fm slash The Inner Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, care enough to act with virtue, dream despite your deepest fears, live honestly with dignity and grace, and above all, love without expecting reciprocation as you continue your inner odyssey.